0: We're going to have as our call to worship this morning some words from the book of Revelation. I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. And now let's come to God in prayer. We pray together. As we meet together in this place, you, O God, are here with us. Though we cannot see you with our eyes, though we are unlikely to hear you speak out loud, though we cannot reach out to touch you, though we may not sense your presence around or within us. As we meet together in your name, O Christ, your body forms afresh, for you are the head, and we, every single one of us, its members. All ages and stages of life, All types and conditions of people. Your hands and feet are ours. Our bodies, yours. As we call upon your refreshment, O Spirit, you are here, gently whispering new hope, actively stirring new understanding. Soothingly easing our heartache, breathing wisdom, adventure, and courage into our shared life. Holy and triune God, the mystery of who you are is too great for us to understand. So we find pictures and analogies, metaphors and symbols to express what we believe to be true. As we meet today, build us up in love, that we may live the life of which we dream, anticipating the heavenly vision that inspires our hope. Amen.
1: The first reading is Psalm 35, on page 555. Verses one to five. Oppose those who oppose me, Lord, and fight those who who fight against me. Take your shield and armor and come to my rescue. Lift up your spear and your axe against those who pursue me. Promise that you will save me. May those who try to kill me be defeated and disgraced. May those who plot against me be turned back and confused. May they be like straw, blown by the wind, as the angel of the Lord pursues them. Turning to verses 15 to 16. But when I was in trouble, they were all glad, and gathered round to mock me. Strangers beat me, and kept striking me. Like those who would mock a cripple, they glared at me with hate. Then turning to John Chapter 14, verses 1 to 14. Jesus, the way to the Father. Do not be worried and upset, Jesus told them. Believe in God and believe also in me. There are many rooms in my Father's house and I'm going to prepare a place for you. I would not tell you this if it were not so. And after I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and make you Take you to myself, so that you will be where I am. You know the way that leads to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Jesus, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way to get there? Jesus answered him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except by me. Now that you have known me, he said to them, You will know my Father. Also and from now on you do know him, and you were you have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father that is all we need. Jesus answered For a long time I have been with you all, yet you do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Why then do you say show us the Father? Do you not believe, Philip, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I have spoken to you, Jesus said to his disciples, do not come from me. The Father who remains in me does his own work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. If not, believe because of the things I do. I am telling you the truth Those who believe in me will do what I do. Yes, they will do even greater things, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask for in my name, so that the Father's glory will be shown through the Son. If you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it.
0: Today we're going to be just a little bit experimental in our approach to exploring the scriptures. And we're also going to draw on a powerful expression of what God's house might look like by using some liturgy from the Baptist Assembly in West Bromwich that I attended last week. Now, I know that not everybody is going to like what we do or find it easy or comfortable, so if it's too uncomfortable or too uneasy, please don't feel pressurised, just step back and and, and listen and wait Um, but hopefully most people will feel able to join in what I'd like you to do to start with in twos or threes as you're seated is to turn to those next to you and just literally for about a minute in total share something about what your ideal home would be like Okay, what would your ideal home be like, off you go Okay, stop. Just as you're getting going, it's always the same, isn't it? Just as you're getting into it, somebody stops you. I wonder if anybody feels brave enough to share one thing that was mentioned in your little group. There's no wrong answers. They're all right answers because they're what would be your ideal home. So is anybody brave enough to, to share anything? Views out the window, yep. Sea Sea view. Garden, so garden, a sea view, views out the window. Anybody else want to share something that would be important for their ideal home? Far away from people. Away from people. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Anybody else? With people. With people. Thank you. That's really, that's really helpful because. I think what we all would like is different. Some people would like the sea view, some people would like a garden, some people would like a mountain view, somebody would like a village, somebody else would like a city, uh, all sorts of different things, uh, but they're all different. It's really fascinating that when we do this, we've all got our own ideas, but I suspect there would be some common threads too, if we had a bit longer to talk about it. The fact is that what might be ideal for me would be absolutely awful for somebody else and the home that you aspire to, I might not like. You see, because all of us in some sense are like all people. We want somewhere to live, somewhere to call home. All of us are like some people in that we share values or ideals that, that are common and all of us are completely unique. There is a unique mix of ideals that makes us who we are. So how could there ever be one home in which we could all live together happily? In which our diversity could be celebrated at the same time as our unity is expressed? I have a feeling that just something of that can be detected in the famous words of Jesus, in my father's house and many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? What I'm hoping that we can do today is to allow those few words to help us think about what heaven might be like. To get a glimpse of glory, if you like. A foretaste of heaven. A sign and a symbol of what we might aspire to here and now as we pray and work for the coming of God's kingdom. Before we do that, though, just a little bit of scene setting for this reading, and I'm afraid it takes us back to funerals again, um, but I'm hopefully not going to make you cry this time. When I was in Leicestershire, I used to conduct, on average, one funeral a month, mostly for people who had little or no church connection, but who wanted a Christian service for their loved one unlike my church folk who had all picked out their Bible readings and usually made sure that I knew what they were, most other families had no idea what to choose. And it was often left to me, oh, oh, you decide, Reverend, you know that sort of thing. Well, if you look in any of the books that are provided to help ministers to do this, amongst the Bible readings suggested is the first part of John 14. John 14 with this promise that Jesus goes ahead to prepare a dwelling place. It's a profound message of hope and comfort in the face of loss and grief. Quite how people imagine that dwelling place, quite how people imagine heaven, will be as diverse as the ideas that we've shared. And probably that's a good thing, because it affirms and celebrates the uniqueness and diversity of human experience and personality. To offer hope, reassurance, and comfort in a time of bewilderment, sorry, distress, and loss is vitally important. And it's actually not the time in preparing for a funeral to challenge what somebody's image of heaven might look like. If they tell me that Auntie Flo is sitting in the front row waiting for Uncle Peter to turn up, then so be it. This isn't the time to question what heaven looks like. But it's a great source of hope for people. But at the same time, we have to be careful that we don't just become sentimental. When we're not in those acute places of pain, bewilderment and loss we do have the opportunity to think a little bit more critically about our understandings without undermining the central assurances they offer. John 14 is part of what is sometimes referred to as the farewell discourses of Jesus. Knowing that he would soon be leaving them, he devoted time to extended conversations with his followers about the future, albeit that he very often used symbols and metaphors that are at the very least bewildering. So it's really helpful for us to recognise the immediate context into which Jesus speaks the words, and also the slightly broader context of his own recent experience as described by the writer of this Gospel. Chapter 13 is really the start of this narrative, locating the events at the time of Passover and setting the scene in an upper room. Whilst John has no explicit last supper narrative, and hence no institution of communion, this is his equivalent. Jesus washes his disciples' feet and gives them the command to love one another. Judas then slips away into the night to betray Jesus to the authorities. And Peter is told that by daybreak, he will have denied knowing Jesus three times. So, the immediate context is at once intimate and confusing. Intimate because these are Jesus' closest friends, and confusing because Jesus is saying strange, bewildering things. He opens his mouth and says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. I don't know about you, but as I was listening to those words from the psalmist, I thought, good grief, why are we listening to this? Somebody in a place of trouble, pouring out their feelings, unexpurgated. That's one of the great things about the psalms. They just tell us it as they see it. It's not always easy reading, but somebody who's troubled that much. And into that kind of context, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. But hang on because if we had read a larger chunk of the gospel, or if we've got good memories, these words are really laden with meaning. Do not let your hearts be troubled. But the gospel has already told us three times in the preceding chapters precisely that Jesus' heart was troubled. I wonder if you can remember when we looked at the story of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. As Jesus stood at the grave and realised the gravity of the situation, the grief of the sisters and the loss of Lazarus, his heart was troubled. Indeed, he was so overwhelmed that he wept. Or can you recall a story that comes on the end of the Palm Sunday account after all that excitement, when Jesus uses this beautiful image ...of the ear of wheat falling to the ground... ...in order to bring forth abundant fruit. And he then went on to say... ...now my heart is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. Knowing that the point of no return has been reached... ...knowing that the way ahead would lead to ridicule, rejection... ...torture and execution... Of course, being fully human, Jesus' heart was troubled. Or even immediately after the foot washing, as he declared that one of his own would betray him, we are told again, he was troubled in spirit. When would it happen? How would it happen? He knew it was coming and it worried him. the same Jesus then who had experienced the consequences of his own tardiness and the agony of bereavement, the same Jesus who was filled with terror at the thought of his own death, who trembled in the face of imminent betrayal, is the Jesus who knows fine well what it is to experience that that dry mouth, the aching heart, that sick feeling in the pit of your stomach, Sleepless nights. This Jesus, knowing that experience, says to those gathered around him In the days ahead, when I leave you, I don't want you to experience this. I don't want you to have this incredible heartache. I want instead to offer you a vision of hope. Or at least that's what it seems to me, he says as I've read that again this week, read the commentators, thought about the experience of funerals, and dare I say, listened to God's spirit. And what a vision of hope he gives. What a promise. In God's house, for which we could read heaven, there are many dwellings. Um, If you think it's mansion, if that's the way you learnt it, that arises from the Vulgate, the Latin translation of the Bible, and it's actually not a good translation of the original languages. In my father's house, in God's house, are many dwelling places. Now, in Jesus' society, this would have been an easy-to-understand image. Rich patrons had huge houses composed of many separate buildings in which different family members could live. It's not, if you like, a huge Beckingham Palace kind of mansion with oodles of guest rooms, although that would still work, but a vast estate on which there are oodles of little houses, perhaps more like the Y-cubes, in which the extended family can live their lives independently but still be interconnected. So the person who liked loud rock music could have their little house, and the person who preferred organ recitals could have their own little space. The people who got up early and were full of the joy of spring and liked a good conversation wouldn't disturb those who didn't like mornings and preferred a lion. Animal lovers could have pets, hermits could have solitude, and so on and so forth. As an image of heaven, as a glimpse of glory, I think it has immense possibility. Dwellings where each one of us will feel at home Alongside those who are different from us, who will also feel at home, and we're all part of a family. I think that's an amazing image. In such a household as this, the whole extended family would share in banquets, coming together for a meal. So it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus told lots of stories about banquets. Shocking stories about banquets in which the good and righteous people refused to come in. And the sinners and the marginalized were compelled, brought in instead. But here's a greater mystery the heavenly banquet, the eschatological hope towards which we journey, grows wider and wider and wider drawing in more and more people. Not always those that we might feel comfortable about, but the people who God in love calls. The people to whom Jesus says, I don't want to see you heart sore and heart sick. I've made ready a home for you in my father's house. I've set a place for you at the table. When I was at the Bugby BMS Assembly last weekend, many wonderful things happened, and chief among those was the closing communion. It was presided by a minister who has severe physical disabilities. He's paralysed from the weights down. He uses crutches to get about. And the servers were people of different races, different ages, different relationship statuses, and different life circumstances. For me, that was a beautiful and powerful symbol of the hope of which Jesus speaks. And so as I draw to a close today, we're going to use part of that liturgy, part of the words that were used at the Baptist Assembly Communion that were prepared by a teenager as we create our own symbol of hope, our image of heaven, our glimpse of glory. The old and the young, even little children, there is a place prepared for you. Women and men, free and oppressed, there is a place prepared for you. Regardless of our colour or ethnicity, impairment or ability, there was a place prepared for you. Singles or couples, straight or gay, friend or stranger, there was a place prepared for you. Rich and poor, employed and jobless, housed and homeless. there is a place prepared for us all. But what about us? Do we feel we're welcomed? Do we need to be reminded and reassured that there is a space for us at the table? In a few moments, we'll be passing around some name cards and you'll be invited to write your name on one of them. And then at some point during the next hymn, to bring it in place on the table. But maybe as well as that or instead of that, you feel there is somebody missing. A person or a people group who you would like to add to our table. If that's the case, then write or draw or symbolize them on one of the place cards. And during the next hymn, add that to to our table.
2: Now let us bring our prayers to God for others and for ourselves. Let us pray. (coughs) O God our Father, what a privilege we have to join together in worship. What freedom we have to meet together as a congregation of your people here in this place What grace has been given to us down the years as we've worshipped and witnessed in this locality and we have sought to live out our faith in our daily lives. We give thanks for all the many blessings that have been granted to us and all that we continue to receive at your hand. We give thanks for health and strength, for food and shelter, for useful employment, for family and friends and for all the benefits of a stable society and the convenience of modern technology. And yet, amidst all our privilege and comfort, we know that there are many thousands of people in our world who suffer. Poverty still afflicts vast numbers of the world's citizens, and diseases continue to ravage many lives. Nations are torn apart by ideological divisions, and civil strife and bloody conflict continues unabated in many lands." We think particularly of the situation of the girls trapped in Nigeria and of the many children who are orphaned and homeless in Syria or the Sudan. And we hold up to you all who have, those who have suffered and died as a consequence of the mining disaster in Turkey. Lord, we pray that you will bless the efforts of all those who seek to be peacemakers in those troubled lands, that somehow justice will be restored and all those who suffer may be released from terror and bondage of every kind. Comfort those who mourn for loved ones lost this past week, and aid all those who seek to restore order in the aftermath of disasters. Especially we would remember this week the work of Christian Aid, and we pray that our gifts might be used to bring relief from pain and suffering, and to promote development in nations across the world. All this in your name. Lord, your words in scripture have pointed us to that glimpse of glory as we see you in your, in, in your son Jesus who came into this world to bear our suffering and our sin. In him is the way, the truth and the life. Help us to grasp that reality and to resolve to live our lives in his service and to God's glory. And so we would turn our thoughts to our own lives and the circumstances that of those around us. We pray for this fellowship and we look forward to a new chapter in our history and development. And we hold up to you in our thoughts, all those known to us who are going through a a time of illness or anxiety, and we would ask for your healing power to touch the lives of each of these loved ones today and in the days ahead. How often in our lives do we lose that vision of how things might be if only we would trust you in all things. How often do we fail to live up to our of faith and how often do we deny the very master we would seek to serve. Help us in our worship and in our praise and praying and meditation on your word to be filled with your spirit, to be renewed in strength and to find again a new resolve to serve you in all our ways. Lord God, somehow our lives seem to be filled with such busyness that we find little time to pause in your presence and to allow ourselves the time to reflect on your purpose for each one of us. We have heard in your word today that Jesus is the way to the Father. So let us determine again today to put our trust in you as our Saviour and our Lord. Let us learn to live each day in the light of your word and let us resolve today to show forth your love in all our words and deeds and actions. For we ask all of this in your name and for your sake. Amen.
0: Loving God, as we go from here, we pray that we will be blessed with the courage to share this hope with others so that we, with them, may feast at the table of your eternal kingdom. This we ask through Jesus Christ, who was and is, and is to come, and who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever.